0: Hello, Celia Jessen here with our fantasy episode. But first it's time for the theme tune, written by our neighbour's son Oliver on his tablet. Oh, welcome to our book club. It's going to be such fun, with book reviews and interviews and japes for everyone.
1: Celia, where's the remote control? I want to watch the athletics.
0: Oh Fred dear, don't you want to watch that fantasy thing on Netflix?
1: Brawny men stripped to the waist? I really don't think so.
0: Oh yes, you're right of course my dear, but perhaps we should give it a go. listen to our book club, and And you you can judge its worth. We taped it it in in the library, library, and it's it's called Wife on Earth. Shh! Sorry. And it's called Wife on Earth. Shh! Hello, I'm Celia Jesson. I'm just an ordinary woman who has strong opinions on the difference between a casserole and cassolette, thinks the archers is getting a bit too racy, and who knows how to get a drawstring back into a pair of swimming trunks with a safety pin... But I've somehow ended up with my own podcast about books, Wife on Earth, that I do with my husband Fred and our friends. Gosh, it does sound very modern, doesn't it? Well, next I'll be wearing a beanie hat and eating sushi. I'm joking, of course, I won't ever be doing either of those things. And now today's book review request comes from our head librarian, Miss Crooks, and is a fantasy novel that's been chosen because it was lying next to the library photocopier... It's called Philip Pullman's The Book of Dust, The Secret Commonwealth. Unfortunately, I'm more of a Georgette Hare sort of person, and Fred is a strictly George MacDonald Fraser man. Anyway, although neither of us is really a fan, we thought we'd get the most artistic person we know, actor and local celebrity Russell Nigels, to say a few words about it and read an extract.
2: Hello. Russell Nigels here. Oh, you find me partaking of a warm, deep bath. I wish you could join me. Anyway, this evening I find myself in the Cotswolds at a second cousin's house. There's been a bereavement in the family... It was someone to whom I wasn't particularly close, but it was decided that I should put in an appearance. Perhaps lend a little gravity to the proceedings. Anyway, I have a copy of the Daily Mail, in which I have to say I just read about a fellow actor, a TV star, no less, who has unfortunately found himself fired from a prestigious television drama series because of his wandering hands with the makeup ladies. No surprise there, I must say. I worked with this actor many, many years ago on an episode of Callum, and he was a terrible camera hog. Really. And not only that, he completely blanked me outside the Garrick Club in 1996. I was so appalled, I nearly dropped my golf sale placard. So perhaps it's calmer. Anyway, I digress. So Celia, dear Celia, has requested that I review this latest fantasy novel by Mr Philip Pullman. You know, it's funny. But talk of fantasy always makes me think back to the halcyon days of the early lords with Peter Jackson. And when he was making his Lord of the Rings films, it just, it seemed like every actor in the country had bagged a role. And dear old Ian Holmey, of course, Shawnee Byrne Curd, Chrissy Lee Balls, and Johnny Reese daviesel I have to say, even my old marker Gary Wilmot managed to grab a part as an orc. <laughs> Uncredited, of course. I think he tried to slip it on IMDb, but uh, they got wise. Cheeky, Gary. Cheeky. Unfortunately, I myself, apparently, could not get arrested. I got my agent, Maureen, to let it be known that I was willing to accept anything. Background dwarf, dryad, Andy Sarkis's ass double, absolutely anything. But PJ wouldn't bite. Mm. So... I hatched a plan, brilliant in its artfulness and ingenuity. You see, I knew from friends that whenever Peter Jackson was over here from New Zealand to audition actors, he and pals would always repair to a certain community centre in Bermondsey to compare notes. I also happen to know from having performed physical theatre there, that this very room contained a trap door leading to a hidden compartment oops drop this in come here so thus i came upon perhaps the most audacious and outrageous scheme in the history of acting i would scrape myself in said hidden chamber Disguised as some fearful fantasy creature and then when Jacko and Co were present, preferably when he said something like, Oh, where can I form the perfect actor for this film? I would leap forth from my prison and declaim the following poem specially written by me. Good morrow gentle friends ah oh, yes tis i the noble wizard fertile puff the brown thrice crowned in truth by elven lords of high and clothed in darkest magic like a gown see here my lengthy beard of purish gray and cast yon eyes upon my scubby knees they tell the tale of many a furious fray no quarter given go on have a squeeze uh, Many a hulking dwarf have I dispatched, and many a lovely princess have I robbed. So now thou knowest my powers are unmatched. Oh, go on, Pete, you bastard! Give me a job! And then a smoke bomb would go off, poof! And when the smoke cleared, I would have vanished and been replaced by a TV/slash/VCR combo playing excess from my show reel mainly taken from a 1983 episode of Bergerac, and the Noodle Doodle advert I essayed in 1976. Classic. Brilliant, eh? Thus it was that I secreted myself in the compartment the day before, clad in my wizard's robes with only a pork pie and a bottle of vimp for sustenance. I must have nodded off because before I knew it, I was awoken by muffled voices overhead murmuring a prayer to geniuses the patron saint of actors i jumped out of my pit like a jack-in-the-box and began to recite verse in strong clear voice unfortunately lulled into the arms of morpheus by the warmth and dark and the pork pie i had slept for 72 hours straight peter jackson was long gone and i ended up interrupting a meeting by quaker's but they were very nice and they agreed not to press charges. And even invited me to their next meeting where I greatly appreciated the free cheese sandwiches and coffee. But I fear I digress. On to this book by Philip Pullman. Hello? Yes, just a minute. Are you all right in there? <coughs> yes, I'm just... <laughs> I'm, just, <coughs> I'm in the middle of queue out here. Yes, friend. I know there are other people waiting. But only the cars have arrived. Well, I'm grieving here. Will you be
0: alone?
2: Yes, all right. Well, just let me wash my nadders, and I'll be out in a jiffy. We have to go to... For uh, God's sake, can a man not just have a five-minute piss? Shit!
0: Thank you for that, Russell Nigel's. A bathtub is a wonderful place, isn't it, in which to relax and imagine you're in a, a fantasy realm. I like to imagine I'm in the deep sea, a mermaid as I listen to the water laughing around me, or a narwhal. You're listening to Wife on Earth with me, Celia Jesson. And now it's time for my husband, Fred, with his Philip Pullman's The Book of Dust, The Secret Commonwealth Review. Fred.
1: Good day. The book that Celia has given me to review this week is what is called a fantasy. Now, I don't mean the kind of fantasy where you imagine everything at Wix is 50% off. No, more the dragons and elves and wizards and dwarves kind of thing. Now, I must confess that this subject matter isn't usually my cup of tea. I find it rather foolish. Wizards and dragons and elves don't exist. We shouldn't pretend that they do. Dwarves do exist, of course, but I understand they prefer to be called midgets these days. So, yes, not really my kind of thing. My ideal novel would be a thriller about a man who has to choose between two kinds of home insurance and nearly picks the wrong one, but at the last moment changes his mind. Oh, and maybe there's a subplot about a lathe. But I had agreed to review this book for the podcast, so I persevered. And much to my surprise, I rather enjoyed it. Now, I know what you'll be thinking. Old Fred's gone soft in the head reading kids' books. He'll be reading that Terry Potter next. Mark my words, the poor old so-and-so's lost it. And perhaps you're right. But I have to say, I think there's a great deal to be said for the classics of children's literature. Sherlock Holmes, Enid Blyton, Edgar Rice Burroughs, Biggles, great stuff, all of it. My father read it to me when I was a nipper, and I in turn read it to my own son. As Celia did reading duty with our daughter, with some nonsense about flower fairies. Now, this book is set in England, but not this England. An England that is in what is called an alternate reality. If you don't know what that means, imagine a world in which there's another me, exactly the same as the real me, but he doesn't have a moustache. And then imagine there's yet another world with another me who is just a moustache. Understand? Good. So in this world, a lot of things are different. Magic exists, witches, talking animals, etc. Also, the Reformation never took place, which means the Catholic Church is always going around poking into everybody's business. Oh, and I believe Australia won the ashes in 1975. But the major difference is that all human beings in this reality have sort of familiars, creatures that are mentally connected to them in the form of creatures, and those creatures reflect the sort of person they are. So... A brooding, pessimistic sort of chap might have a crow, while a faithful, loyal woman might have a golden retriever. Now, you might think, that sounds a bit rum, but it's actually quite well done, and the writer chap manages to make the whole thing almost believable. Celia and I were rather taken with this idea and uh, spent an evening discussing what our creatures would be. Then we went on Google, and lo and behold, found someone who'd invented a thing where you put in all your details, and it tells you. Turns out Celia is a sickly bluebell dying from a lack of sunlight, while I am a large overbearing oak tree, which was very interesting. So, to recap, I thought this was a rollicking read, lots of whiz-bang adventures, good for the nippers, but also a wizard read for those of us approaching middle age. Five stars.
0: I must apologise. My husband Fred sounds absolutely awful. He's got a rotten cold. Fred, can't you try nibbling on a fisherman's friend? <clears throat> Do you know I don't feel the least like a, a wilting blueberry? A, a bluebell, even? Well, I certainly look like one at times. Well, who doesn't? Anyway, I don't trust online quizzes. Although, actually, having said that, Mrs Coyle... Did do one I remember where she put her face into one of those which celebrities do you most resemble things on the computer? Well she was hoping for Christian Scott Thomas. But she was a ninety-nine percent match for Whitby Train Station. <laughs> Funnily enough, there she is now. <laughs> I must say it's an uncanny resemblance. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, hello there. Ooh. Mm-hmm. I wonder what Mrs. Coyle's demon would be. She'd probably need something low-maintenance, wouldn't she? It doesn't need to be taken for a walk, like a stick insect or a chrysalis. Do you know, it's not my turn for my book review yet, but I must say I am quite taken with the idea of having a demon, a sort of little pet, or like your soul in animal form that's connected to you by an invisible string. I think mine wouldn't be a dying bluebell, but a moth. Well, not a wild, thrilling one like panteleimon Lyra's moth, but a clothes moth. Ten a penny in Kent, forever nibbling at my cashmere snood "'with half an eye on my Harrod's cape, but, you know, lively and and ever-present. "'Like me, Gonzo the moth, just thought of that off the top of my head, sorry, "'flits about in life, a dreamer, or seemingly delicate and pathetic from a distance, "'but up close has an inner steel and a penchant for the good things in life, "'my suede mittens, the little cheeky. (laughs) "'Then I'd fly off to the south of France.' where Gonzo, the common clothes moth, would become a beautiful and rare butterfly. Gonzonetta! Dazzling and distracting the artists and yacht men near the Bulls court in Antibes. Well, that's where Frank lives. Frank's my husband, Fred's twin brother. When I first met them, you know, I must say, I I originally preferred Frank, but I married Fred instead. Oh, don't worry, Fred didn't hear that. He's he's not here. He's wandering off. He's in graphic novels, getting our next section ready but even if he did hear me, he wouldn't mind at all. We all know I ended up with the right one in the end. Frank had a motorbike back in the old days, and, and I'd often see him roaring around the village on his Norton, his golden curls glinting in the sunlight. I knew he was a member of the tennis club, so I joined up in the hopes of meeting him. But he ended up with Arabella Fotherington, who had a much-vaunted backsmash, and I ended up with Fred. Celia! Yes, coming, Fred! he's just in time because it's time for our new section books we've most recently enjoyed
1: now if like me you often find yourself with 11 seconds to spare between greasing the stopcock and re-spoking the brompton Hmm. you might like to lose yourself in a good book i sometimes get my books from oxfam on the high street where they are often cheaper than the first editions at a collector's book fair or signed and brand new from a Waterstones by up to five pence. (laughs) But even more cheaply than that, if you can avoid the, quite frankly, punitive fines, is borrowing books from the library, such as this one we're in now. So now, for our book group here at Milton Library with a section we've called Books We've Most Recently Enjoyed. First up, Mrs Coyle, our char. I have been reading
3: The Pleasures and Sorrows of Work by an egghead called Alain de Boton.
1: And what did you think of it, Mrs Coyle?
3: Pff, well, what I thought of it wasn't fit to print. What do you mean, Mrs Coyle? It was full of long words and an unbearable sense of intellectual and emotional superiority. I give it not out of 10. In my opinion, every single copy should be shredded and used as wall insulation in a lunatic asylum.
1: Well, not off to a good start there. Next up, male librarian Darren
4: Trembling. I've been reading The Further Adventures of a Call Girl by Belle de Jour. It's the inspiring tale of how a young girl made her way in the world with pluck, verve and oodles of spunk. Oodles, eh? Reservoirs of the stuff.
0: So did you like it?
4: I loved it. Although I was a little bit baffled by pages 2 to 314.
1: So a positive review... Now it's time for my wife, Celia.
0: I've been reading Where Have All the Boys Gone by Jenny Colgan. (laughs) Did you like it? I thought it was very easy to pick up and remarkably easy to put down again. Just the thing while you're waiting for the economy cycle to finish.
1: Marvellous. Well, it's just me left, and I've been reading the manual of a 1973 Hillman Minx Series 5. But I haven't finished it yet, so don't tell me what happens at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Thank
0: you, Fred, and thank you, everyone. We'll all be back in a little while with another section, but that bit was brought to you by our sponsors, Pickles Corner Shop in Lower Bottom. If you need a loaf of bread, a box of matches, or a three-amp
3: fuse and it's past half past 5pm, then come to the Corner Shop Bottoms Parade Lower Upping. Everyone calls us the Corner Shop because their name is actually the Corner Shop. Let's face it, even if we were called something else, they'd still call us the Corner Shop, which is why we've decided on the name. We've got bacon, marge, furniture polish, blue roll, jam, cat food, fire lighters, sardines, pipe cleaners, pork luncheon meat, and a 10p mix for the kiddies or adults with a sweet tooth. Come to the corner shop, Bottoms
0: Parade. Lower Upping, you won't regret it. Good old Pickles, dependable, reliable and sometimes open. <laughs> There's no point in pretending to creep around with a demon here in Lower Upping. Places like Pickles, no-nonsense, run by a furious staff, keeps one's feet firmly on the ground. We'd love a bit of fantasy, goodness only knows, but the nearest we've got to having a fantasy life here is that Pickles introduced a world cuisine shelf, including the rare and exotic Mexican Stock Cube. Careful, it's quite warm. Aye. Pickles are forward-thinking. Well, they were the first to stock mayonnaise all year round because Mrs Coyle likes it on a Christmas dinner. Don't you, Mrs Coyle? Oh, hi. Now it's time for my book review. Now, Philip Pullman has written a number of fantasy books and I've read most of them, mainly because I accidentally ordered all of them to be reserved here at the library... I'd meant to select Poldark but got Pullman by mistake and thought, well, how different can they be? Poldark and Pullman, they're very different. But there is a slight similarity, I suppose, in that Winston Graham's Morwena Poldark is quite fiery and so is Philip Pullman's Lyra Silvertongue. I wish I could be more like Lyra Silvertongue. She's a wonderful literary character, she really is. Impetuous, wild, following her heart, passionately running about the rooftops of Oxford paddling through floods and blazing across plains, dishevelled and barefoot. As it is, that kind of adventurous life eludes me completely. If I tried to be wild and free, running about with no shoes on, I'd end up treading on a ring pull. But as Frank used to say, Frank is my husband Fred's twin brother, as Frank used to say, if you were able to be wild and free, Celia Amelia, you probably wouldn't like it, darling. You don't like being more than two metres away from a kettle at any given moment. And of course he was right. And off he went hitchhiking to Nottingham with a rock folk group called Nuts and Bolts, and that was the end of that. But that doesn't stop one dreaming, does it? It's like that phone book experiment, isn't it? The more bored you are, the more fun you have, isn't it? Do you know the phone book experiment? Boredom is good for you, they found. Well, they got a load of people to read from the phone book for hours and hours, and afterwards they were more stimulated creatively than the group who hadn't read it. Fred said, of course they were more stimulated. Some of the names in the phone book are fascinating. And I suppose he's right, isn't he? Why, only the other day I found a new name that I hadn't heard before. It's just as well, really, that we are left to find our own entertainment here in Lower Upping. Well, that's why I'm doing the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, you only have to read from my diary to see how ho-hum it is here. And, as Fred says, that's just the way we like it. Here we are. Sunday. Pop to Pickles the corner shop for a loaf of bread. They have a new seeded cob, a rye farmhouse and a granary plat. I asked about Thin Sliced and it was in the freezer cabinet. Monday. This morning I woke up, defrosted Fred's Toast and felt a little discombobulated. Went back to Pickles the Corner Shop. Eggs, tea and lard. A new man has started. I don't know his name, Pat or Cat or something modern. He is hopeless. He was completely wrapped up in his world-bred display and hardly knew where anything else was. I do hope he improves. Only my little expedition took the best part of 45 minutes... I feel even more unsettled. I know. I'll take a country walk. The air will do me good. Tuesday. How very, very wrong I was. The walk was a disaster, and the whole blasted experience has been most bothersome. For a start, I couldn't find the countryside. I set off for what looked like a hillock and ended up on a tree-lined industrial estate. Nipped back to Pickles the Corner Shop. I don't know why... I had no need to buy any groceries. I felt utterly ridiculous, but I ended up studying the yogurts for far too long, and they were all strawberry. It was strangely comforting. Perhaps I'm developing a preference for a limited range. The new grocer's name is Matt. Funny, I should have noticed. On my way out, I'd bought some safety pins and a batch. I bumped into Mrs. Coyle. (laughs) She really is terrifically odd. As she walked past me, I distinctly heard her say, I hate you. I bit my lip. Wednesday. Fred told me that our char, Mrs. Coyle, has a hands-free phone and was talking to her second husband. (laughs) It's most disconcerting to have someone look you directly in the eye and utter obscenities when it's intended for an invisible recipient on the end of some kind of tube. Fred says, since I tried to turn the internet on, he can smell gas. Well, what does he expect? I'm just an ordinary woman. Decided to nip out for some fresh air, though, just in case. Popped into Pickles for a malt loaf. "'and Matt recognised me from the last two days. "'He was very charming. "'His name badge read Matt Jarvis. "'I didn't notice at the time, "'but he put my change into my hand directly "'rather than onto the counter. "'I think he was making love to me. "'I know it sounds silly, but I rather liked it. "'Came home and lay down. "'Thursday. "'I can't leave the house. "'Matt may call round at any moment with a love letter. "'You never know. "'They say you'll meet your true love when you least expect it.' Well, I've been least expecting it for years. Oh, that's the doorbell. Hang on, dear diary, until we meet again in a minute. Well, that was the gas board. And did I want to change services? And had I looked at my bill lately? And one other thing... And of
4: course, all our maintenance team are corgi-registered.
0: But I hadn't heard a word of it. On the other side of the road was Matt Jarvis, on his day off from Pickles. I felt dizzy. The exotic smell of a holiday island filled my senses. And suddenly I saw us, Matt Jarvis and me, together, having a proper day off, far away on a beach somewhere, toasting thick white sourdough on an open fire.
4: I hate working in the shop. I want to be a doctor. I knew it. The out-of-date codes make me sick.
0: You do have a terribly limited range, Matt.
4: No one has ever bought a milk loaf before. It's
0: my favourite.
4: Mine too toasted with butter.
0: Are you making love to me? Yes. I rather like it.
4: Are you the homeowner?
0: I don't understand.
4: I said, are you the homeowner? Because there's a gas leak, I need to turn you off at the mains. And
0: suddenly I was back there with a the gas man. And Matt Jarvis had walked away, on the other side of the road, heading for the gaming arcade or maybe a day of welking or joyriding or whatever it is they do. And the gas man was explaining that the gas was leaking and it was making me hallucinate, but I'd be all right now.
4: And of course, the maintenance team are all Corgi registered.
0: I'd be back with Fred, putting the peas on and hearing about cricket. Well, as Frank used to say, there is adventure to be found in the most unusual places, even lower upping. And then he moved to France. And that concludes my book review. And now it's time for a look through all the papers, just like they do at the end of Newsnight, except I'm not as patronising as Emily Maitlis. So welcome to a spot we like to call What the Local Papers Say. First up, we have Mrs Coyle, our char, whom I strongly suspect of having broken a small Dresden shepherdess and hidden it behind the spare loo roll in the downstairs WC this morning.
3: lummy, I never did. Hmm...
0: So what newspaper have you chosen, Mrs
3: Coyle? I have been perusing the West Toxborough Clarion and its headline, Dunton Cops Top Shop Smock Hip Hop Shock, which was about a WPC who fell over while trying on a dress in a well-known clothing shop and broke her hip. Gosh, and what
0: drew you to this headline, Mrs C? Well, I think it was the use of alliteration. Oh, gosh, how embarrassing. Actually, Mrs Coyle, I think you'll find that's an example of rhyme, not alliteration. (laughs) Well, I ain't staying here to be
3: insulted. And I did break that bleeding shepherdess too. And that Delft pottery teapot last Christmas. Mrs C, you said it was the cat. (laughs) Well, it was
0: me. Get stuffed, the lot of you. Oh, well.
3: You bugger off. Oh, A
0: bunch of shits. Darren Trembling, the male librarian, which local paper have you chosen?
4: I've chosen the lower upping advertiser and this story here on page seven. You only sieve twice.
0: Gosh, let me guess. A man bought a sieve from the Ironmongers on the same day that his wife bought exactly the same sieve. Am I right?
4: Yes, that is precisely what happened.
0: Thank you, Darren. Now it's my husband, Fred.
1: Well, I've chosen this from the giddydale Echo. Row over public right-of-way enters 19th year.
0: Oh, Fred, must we go over this again?
1: Now, you've probably heard of this case... Uh, Mr Greenleaf of Moncrief Road, Giddydale has, since the year uh, 1980, owned a strip of land eight metres long by the side of his semi-detached property. This land leads to the popular Spinny Walk, a pathway that is the quickest route to Sukley Hill, a popular dog-walking spot. Now, Mr Greenleaf, in the year 2000, built a fence barring the entrance to Spinney Walk, claiming that dog mess had been found on his property, made by the pets of those using this shortcut. The 1979 deed for the property showed that Greenleaf was, in fact, the sole owner of the land, but a 1984 ordnance survey map seemed to contradict this. Oh, Fred. Well, (coughs) anyway, the controversy, dubbed... Giddy Dale Gate by um, local wags continues unabated, and I predict that next November it will enter its glorious 20th year.
0: Yes, thanks for that, Fred. It was incredibly interesting. Hmm. It's just me left, and I chose this cut out coupon for a free scone with any large tea at the Cozy Copper Kettle Cafe from the Bramsley Mercury. Yes, oh. Mm. Thank you, everyone, for that section. We're nearing the end of this episode because I have to go and patch things up with Mrs Coyle again. Not all glamour, is it? Doing a thing about books with locals. And poor old Fred with his streaming eyes and nose. He's not so much a great oak as a weeping willow. Poor Fred. I wonder what Frank's doing now. Frank is Fred's twin brother, who I originally preferred. But I married Fred instead. Frank's an architect living near Monte Carlo. Frank's probably doing something like celebrating Leonardo DiCapriati's birthday, sipping an ice-cold martini beneath a 400-foot ice sculpture of the great man, while George Clooney and Tiger Woods play Baccarat and Alan de Botton shows Kylie Jenner how to stuff an olive. <sighs> Perhaps there's an altercation. Dwayne the Rock Johnson accidentally spills his crystal champagne on Elon Musk's coat sleeve and there's nearly a punch-up. But Frank steps in and smooths things over, makes witticism... Looks like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard case and promises to build Elon a revolving glass outhouse to make up for it. Then he gives a nod to Ariana Grande and off they roar in his testa down to the beach, sitting on the dock eating oysters straight from the shell and sipping tequila and they watch the sun come up together. I've got to go now. I've got to boil, wash Fred's cricket trousers and try reading a Joanna Trollope while he talks loudly about the metric system. Philip Pullman gets five stars on the golden Otholomite Othol- 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 nobody Concert, which means it was a tip-top read. Goodbye. This episode was written by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon with music by Head Love, Pad McLean and Glenn Richardson and performed by Julia Claffley sneddon Ben Crompton, Alistair Kerr, Pad McLean, Joanna Neary, Paul Putner and Chris Sloman. This episode was produced by Wife on Earth, part of the Cosmic Shambles Network.